MTG Speculator Podcast, episode number 31. Today is Saturday, July 8th, 2017. I'm Massimo. Welcome Dan and Matthew to the podcast. Yo! Hello. Uh, yeah, so Dan's back and Matthew hasn't been on uh, for a little while, so yeah. we're going to have a fun uh, three-person podcast today. We're going to be talking the Hour of Devastation spoilers, deck lists, what we're expecting for the metagame moving forward. So hopefully it's going to be super, super fun. It's going to be very exciting. Yeah, exactly. Um, yo, Matthew, how you been, man? Me? Yeah. Decent. I've been getting way back into EDH. Nice. And I'm super excited. All these most recent sets have been like pretty decent for EDH. Yeah, I this think. one's sick for EDH. Yeah. This one's got a lot of yeah. cool combo cards like Imminent Doom and stuff. You know what they say. I'm joking. I mean, when, it dude's bad. Don't worry. When the set's bad, it's great for EDH. Yeah. Yeah, true. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, these cards are trash. Good for EDH. Good for EDH, Like, the set wasn't that great for my one-drop cube. Like, I had, like, four good one-drops, maybe maybe mm-hmm. less. Yeah. There's an eternalized one-drop, which is super exciting. <laughs> it's just going to be a bomb. But, it's a 4-4. Four, four. Yeah. Sick. Good. Sick. Uh, this weekend is the pre-release. So Matthew and I are going to be off to the pre-release just after recording this. Dan can't make it. Correct. But I hope you guys had a great time at your respective pre-releases. It seems like it's going to be a fun set. All right. Let's get into what we're thinking for the metagame. Uh, I want to caveat this a little bit because uh, in case you're not aware, Magic Online, Hour of Devastation releases on it earlier than paper. Uh, So you could actually play standard events and whatnot starting Monday, July 11th, which is actually crazy. Uh, so by the time you hear this podcast, you could probably already play Magic. Online. Yeah, and there might already be like five O lists posted. So it puts us in kind of an awkward position because it like doesn't give us a lot of time to like brew and test and whatnot. Uh, so we kind of had to push this episode out earlier than I would want because I didn't have a chance to test all the deck lists I wanted to test and stuff. But I did test a bit, and I do have a decent understanding of what decks I built, which were terrible. So I won't even bring them up, and which decks had some promise and that sort of stuff. And uh, Dan and Matthew. Uh, both helped me test and they have their own ideas about the metagame uh so we're just gonna like chat it out see what we're thinking moving forward i'll have some deck lists added to the description for this episode uh so you can look for them there and we're just going to talk about cards we're going to talk a little bit about prices uh what cards we think overperform underperform and then we're going to end off just with some like just some decks and talk about uh things we're theorizing for the format in terms of actual lists all right so the first thing we want to get into before anything else is what we're expecting for the metagame. I know uh, Dan and Matthew both have a lot to say on the topic, so I'm just going to let them go off about it for a while. Sure. So uh, we uh, we mentioned the last time that we uh, we podcasted that if uh, Wizards decides to ban Aetherworks Marvel, which I think we indicated would have a 0% chance uh, <laughs> of occurring, so oops. I'd like to know uh, that I wasn't there. What, what would you have said, Matthew? I would have been like... Wizards 1%? is definitely going to ban 100% with sure. Marvel. It's 100% no fun. in retrospect, of course. When you have to play it and you, to win and you're having a bad time, like that seems like the bad bad for business. I mean, I don't think that was true. I Dude, think the David, reason with Daniel Fournier said like he hated the deck and he ended up playing it to like a top 8. <laughs> yeah, basically. But like I think it was right. it was yeah. a diverse format, but it was still being warped around the variance and the the lack of fun that came from the real variance of that deck because it was kind of mm-hmm. like you were playing like coin flip dot metagame. I yeah. mean, they banned Splinter Twin because like sometimes they just beat you in turn four, and that's kind of I mean that's modern. Pretty, but it's this, very but similar. this is even it's this is different because it's, how is it not similar? 
This is more about the fact that you're playing against something where it's either super random, but sometimes you just win just because. Not because anyone played magic better, just because that's how things worked out. That was Splinter Twin. No. Sometimes sometimes you pass and you you have like a bolt and they're like, Flash Deceiver, Splinter Twin, I win. And you're like, well, I... I mean, I guess in that way, yes, but this is like, the variance is far more real for the person actively playing the deck. Yeah. True. Um... So anyway, and also what, it's standard. So it's like standard, powerful which, things. Well, if like it that. guaranteed an Ulamog in turn four in standard, that would, that would have been be wicked ban. But the fact things. that it didn't necessarily guarantee an Ulamog powered but, it down just enough to still be banned in standard. Right. <laughs> but it didn't mean that that would happen or not happen because you did or didn't execute your game plan. It did or didn't happen just because. Which yeah. I think is why if you read their reasoning, why they ultimately made that decision. One in ten it's not games, because it, was it wasn't games, diverse. Yeah. It actually was a fairly diverse metagame. But that, it was diverse yeah. completely warped around the varying ways of beating Marvel or being Marvel. I mean, and what we that mentioned... Just means, that just means that if like you have like a really bad combo deck that like is okay, but then absolutely goes off like one in ten games, that that would be like a reasonable reason to ban it. Well, but it also won games where it didn't do that on turn four. That's the whole point. Yeah, exactly. Like it's a reasonable deck, but yeah. then so if it does a combo deck in standard that wins on turn four one tenth of the games and then wins on turn five, six, and seven the remainder of the games, yeah. that will be banned. I stand by what I said before. I don't think it needed to be banned, but I think that the other thing that we said, which was if they do ban it, it's because at the end of the day, they want mid range back. Like healthy mid range is usually the marker of right. a healthy standard format. That's why they printed like four sweepers in this set. They're like guys, <laughs> we're mid range or GTFO, right? And the fact that that's now likely going to be the centerpiece of the format means that we're back to a few things being true. If you're going to play to win, you have to be focused on a few things: either playing the best or arguably the best kind of mid range deck. And I'll get into what I think that means in a sec. Or you need to be doing a few other things. Trying to go over the top of mid-range with something that's crazy powerful, like a ramp deck, that the mid-range deck can't interact with well. Uh, trying to control the format in a way that's tuned to the kind of mid-range decks that are out there. Or trying to play something hyper-aggressive that goes underneath the mid-range deck before they can really get the value from their turn 4, turn 5 plays. I don't think that's... I don't think that's going to be a possibility. Yeah, I think that it doesn't look like there's a lot of decks that have that potential. It Sometimes Mardu can play out that way, which is one option. Uh, sometimes Zombies will play out that way, but I think we were talking about the fact that with so many sweepers, it's likely that Zombies may get pushed out of the format a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, there is kind of a red deck out there. I think Saffron Olive played... Uh, ver- I think he called it like five ticks deck? red or red t- or ten ticks red or something. Two yeah. ticks red or two ticks red. Yeah, it's just like super cheap stuff, very low to the ground. Oh, blood and rage a lot brawler, of blood and rage stuff. brawler, on crop crasher, cartouche of zeal, lots of cards. That it's kind of like a red tempo deck almost. You're playing a lot of stuff, a lot of haste, and you're often making your opponents unable to block. So you're trying to apply a lot of pressure to their face before they can really get set up. It's possible that something like that comes through. They got a couple of interesting tools for that deck in this set, but I think it primarily comes down to playing the best mid-range deck. So I'll pause there. I'll come back to what I think that means a little bit later, but uh, I don't want to steal too much time. <laughs> Matthew, do you have anything to say on that axis? Um, I think that besides zombies, like 
black green and, and mardu are still like the decks to beat yep. they're still really good we tested them and they were both really fantastic it just felt like you know i'm gonna do my thing and if you can't beat me doing my thing you're gonna lose yeah yeah those and their the, thing was so good those are the two decks that are right now at least coming out of the previous metagame the best decks for like asking a hard question and demanding an answer yes and yeah, like definitely. like one of them mardu is just like play the best cards like uh, at every level of the curve yeah and then black green is like just have the best synergy yeah like long tusk cub and the snake it was just busted so good. i attacked yeah. it was a 10 10 on turn four or something right. <laughs> yeah i'm as you know, anyone who listened to the last podcast, I'm a big old fan of Snake plus Cub. Yeah. Because when your Cub is bigger than Ulamog, you feel real good. <laughs> yeah, dude. Um, it's, it's nuts. And, and in Black Green, there's a few different versions of like the Super Synergy deck, right? There's the, the Energy plus Counters version. Mm-hmm. There's the mostly just Counter Synergy version. Delirium. And there's also the Delirium build, yeah. which goes a little bit higher up the curve. And it's one of the kind of mid-range options, I think, that exist in the format right now. Uh but yeah, I, I agree. I think Mardu and Green Black are kind of the, they're the bread and butter staples of the format right now. Definitely. And I think a bunch of other things are going to build up around that yeah. core. Which is interesting because both of those decks are leaning more aggressive. Well, I think they, they both have the markers of what makes a good mid-range deck good, which is the ability to be flexible in your game plan and perform uh, as an aggro deck that can fall back into a powerful mid-range deck. Mm-hmm. Right, they lose a little bit of the oomph a little bit higher up the curve if they're trying to do that. But that's why a lot of like Mardu decks will have Avacyn or Glorybringer or something at like the five drop, and will usually and Maso, I'm sure mm-hmm. that this is something you're super familiar with. You know that'll like kind of shift into the Planeswalker deck post board, mm-hmm. so they have way more oomph up the curve by sacrificing that aggression. Definitely, right? yeah. Yeah, pretty crazy. Um, yeah, so just to jump on like a little bit more specifics of the deck and like what the decks are getting, um, Mardu and Black Green specifically. So Mardu gets Baleful. Oh, sorry, Baleful Amit. Amit Eternal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Amit Eternal is just uh, the the biggest hole that I think Mardu had in his game plan uh, is it didn't have the strongest three drops. It often revolved around Aethersphere Harvester uh, or Cultivator's Caravan. Or Thalia hair to Cathar, and sometimes PNLR if you really needed the artifacts, which all in and of themselves, those cards are not that powerful. Um, and plus, you want to be black so you can play the best removal spells in standard. Yeah, so like, and you want to be, be able to consistently cast Fatal Push uh, and and Unlicensed Disintegration as often as possible. I guess black or red in that case. But the idea is that now, be- uh, Baleful Amit, Amit Eternal fills that <laughs> slot really, really well. Amid Eternal is just a, a house of a card. Um, the fact that it pressures your life total, even if they chump block it and, or, or kill it uh, in, a, in an attack, just makes all your cards better. Like, Mardu's all about cards that generate damage, um, just sort of passively. Like, Unlicensed Disintegration is reach, Cut to Ribbons is reach, Gideon gets in for five a lot of the time. So it's just like, you know, Heart of Kieran's gonna chip in for four at least once during a game. So it's just about, like, just putting pressure on your opponent's life total. And Bill Fahmed is a threat that demands an answer immediately, uh, can't be blocked incessantly, and if they do block and kill it, they're still taking three. So it just does a lot of things the deck wants. And what's good is that I think this solidifies Mardu as a black-white splash-red deck because there was some back and forth about Glorybringer versus Avacyn, um, Fatal Push versus Cut to Ribbons, these sort of, uh, and Veteran Motorist versus 
whatever else you wanted to pay play uh you know in the black slot and so i think this definitely shifts the deck into more white black um and makes that question a sort of i think it closes the case on the correct build of marbu um so right now i think three baleful omits is a good place to be and just makes your curves even more powerful than they were before and maybe a few omit eternals too i think those would be good did I say Baleful Amit yeah, again? Yeah, you did yeah. for like the fourth time. Oh my god. <laughs> Dude, Baleful Amit combos. You put the counter on it. I mean, it, it does have lifelink, so <laughs> yeah. that's real It's good. probably great in the mirror. It crews hard to cure. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it sure does. Quality cards. All right, Amit Eternal is a good card. Uh, it's $2 right now on, on TCG Player, uh, but it is in the Planeswalker deck. So uh, do not buy is the, is the recommended stance. If you need to play them, buy them at $2, but this is not a spec. You're not going to be able to make money on Ahmed Eternal as much as, as long as you wait. It's yeah. never going to go up past this point. And it's like pure standard card only. Yeah, I don't so. see a, I mean, maybe mono black in, in modern, because like you're, you are playing Phyrexian Obliterator, right? Yeah. And so like three drop five, five, four drop five, five. It's like not that bad, I, I guess. guess, but it's not that great. It's not, yeah. Well, yeah, it's not. Uh, modern, they play way more spells per turn. So, uh, Black Green, Snake, uh, I, I thought this deck wasn't getting anything, but then I realized it gets Dream Stealer. Uh, Dream Stealer, I think, is a very good card in this home. Game Stealer? Yeah, talk about Game Stealer. Uh, the fact that you just incidentally pump its power, uh, and just as soon as it connects, you win the game at that point, is very, very powerful. You just, like, play Gear Hulk, and you can put, like, one counter on it, and suddenly it's, like the biggest threat they have in play because like how do you come back from being mine rotted every turn exactly and it has menace so it's like super evasive you might want to move up on your number of blossoming defenses just to keep it in play or to potentially sometimes you have to go for it and just like get their three cards out of their hand because if you're slightly ahead on board and you dodge the removal spell you immediately win the game uh dream stealer i think is a is a very potent card in this strategy and uh i i'm going to be playing dream stealer in my black green decks moving forward um so uh, for a long time i think dan you seem to not agree i'm gonna i'm gonna go out on a limb and say that i don't think dream stealer is good i think instead it is bad well what was what was taking the slot of dream stealer well i think you have in black green you have so many good plays on three right you're talking about uh rishkar nissa amit eternal uh, Liliana. Oh, you can't play Omniture because it's anti synergy with Snake. Yeah, you'd get double the minus. But depending on your, whatever black green you're playing, if you're playing the counters version. Well, if you're, you're not playing, playing Delirium, if you're not, you're not playing putting, Snake, sure, sure. If, if you're, you're not, not playing Snake, you're not playing this. Card. Yeah, if you're not putting plus plus and counters on Dream Stealer, you're not doing it right. Yes, like you need to play this with like Nissa and Gear Hulk. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like another three drop. Yep. That is competing with other stuff that you keep playing. I mean, but how many spot. like how many Nissas are you gonna play? Three. How many Rishkas are you gonna play? Three. So yeah. you know you can have, you can play three to four dream stealers and like that's it. You're not playing never to return. That but, card's like not that. Yeah, great. but if you're already at the point where you're playing a lot, you're comfortable playing a lot of three drops. Are you really going to play this over tireless tracker? Uh, like, that's a good question. There's a ton of value the tireless tracker generates and synergizes with the counters that you're already trying to create elsewhere. Does it synergize with the counters? Yeah, because it gets counters. But dream stealers yeah, but better that's... against control than tireless tracker. Like yeah. you, if you hit them for like two, they just. That's way better than having like two clues. I mean, it's a one-two. It dies to magma spray. It dies it does to, die to magma spray. everything. Like it just—it feels like you were 
you're gonna get a lot of upside in the rare cases where you play this it's uninterrupted you also play counter stuff they're also in uninterrupted when a lot of things go right but if a lot of things are going to go right, I'd much rather just play Wine Constrictor, followed by Rishkar, and then kill my opponent. Sure, yeah, you can I mean, still you can do, do that. Still do that. That's not pushing that out of yeah, the format. I did that multiple times, but, then, but also where does that? Had where does this card fit into that curve? Like, it fits in that. that it's then... still a must-kill threat by itself. Exactly. It is a must-kill threat on its own. Yeah. Removal turns this thing on. Any plus one plus one counter turns this thing on. Or it's a must-block with two cards. Right. Like, I mean, yeah, but if you're blocking with two cards, you're an aggro deck. You're like getting in with a ton of damage. I don't know. I I think that you are you're sacrificing what your prime what your deck is tr- primarily trying to do, which is apply a lot of pressure for the ability to like maybe make them discard a land once in a while and or get it killed by a one mana spell often. Yeah, so the only one mana spell that kills this is Magma Spray. spray yeah. Which isn't Magma even spray, saving a lot of play. Activated fatal push. Yeah, but what do you yeah, like, that doesn't they cost activate, one mana. They'll activate a fail push after combat and they've already discarded their card. Mm-hmm. I guess. It was good. This this actually did a ton of damage against me. In yeah. that like like it did a ton of work in that, you know, he it's 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 a board stall and he has this in play and then you if you gear hulk this or whatever, like you put one or two counters on this, yeah. suddenly it's like, well, now I have to expend resources to kill the dream we dream stealer otherwise like and yeah. meanwhile he still has a gear hulk, he still has a snake, like everything in the deck needs to be killed. Lotus cub. You yes. know, they only have so much removal and at least this comes back at the, like, this is, like, late game. It does come back as a 4-4. That is, again, a must-answer threat. Yeah, I mean, the Eternalize definitely improves the quality of this. I could see it slotting. And, I mean, it's totally possible that I'm completely wrong. And where things land is, like, this is exactly the kind of thing you want to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it just feels like green-black is not hurting for amazing things to do on 3 mana. Especially if you're the version of green-black that wants to be, like, going up the chain to Verter's Gearhulk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I don't know. I, Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, we tested it. It seemed good. We like it's very much possible we are also wrong. Um, one thing I do want to say about Dream Stealer is that uh, Black Green is historically weak to sweepers or effects that like it. Black Green is a deck that demands one for ones, and if you don't have it, they lose. But if you have a sweeper, like Black Green has a really hard time recovering. Yep. Um. So Dream Stealer does not make Black Green better in that aspect at all. Right, so yeah. it is furthering I mean, yeah, its game plan. is a little bit better, but by the time you're at six mana, yeah, it, it's probably too late. Probably worse than like a Tyler's Trap than in that mana. case. Yeah, exactly. Like right. having backup clues versus having a six mana four four in your graveyard. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely like it's it's a trade off for Tireless Tracker. I think Tireless Tracker is another great option for that deck. Uh, but I think Dream Stealer is more on theme of just like actually attacking. Um, another thing is that this card is thirty cents online right now. Um, I think this actually could be a reasonable buy. There, I think there's a world where Dream Stealer actually does see play um, as as a three of in like a competitive sure. deck, and I think it's not. It's there's a chance it's not bulk, and it could be like a, a four or five dollar rare. Sure, I mean the downside is effectively zero. Yeah, right. Like it can't really, literally can't get much lower than that. Like it'll fall. Like, and yeah. if it actually becomes a relevant card in a relevant build. Of like a tier one or kind of 1.5 deck, yep. then it'll be worth a couple of bucks as opposed to what it's worth now, which is almost nothing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's only one style of deck. It could be in like some stupid pummeler deck or whatever. Yeah, true. You, you just, you just mind. You just deal five to them and they discard their. Entire you just hand. mind twist them yeah. on turn four. Although 
I mean that that play is just is begging for a grass of darkness. <laughs> yeah, it is true. begging. Well, what if if you have like a pump spell plus blossoming defense, there you, hand, that's the dream. Then you right. just get them. If you just have those three cards, then everyone's happy. Yeah, sure. I do. All right, so uh, I want to. We're going to talk a little bit about some other decks that also have some promise in terms of the meta game and what we're thinking in terms of you know this very grindy mid range matchup sort of style. So the first thing that comes to mind when mid range is king is ramp. Um, in my opinion. And Ramp, I think, got a lot of pieces, specifically an Hour of Promise. That card is a house. Um, having the flexibility of choosing two zombies or choosing two Shrine of the Forsaken Gods or like some combination so that you still get the zombies based on how many you've drawn. Uh, it's just a, it's a way more flexible spell than it looks on its face. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think the fact that there's, that often the modes are just both. Yes. And it's not that hard, especially if you're mono green or like green with a little bit of something else, mm-hmm. to be playing quite a few reasonable deserts already. Yeah. Such that like you're already still getting the four mana worth of ramp by playing double shrine mm-hmm. and getting like four four across two bodies is just hugely valuable. Just the life gain. It's basically a huge amount of life gain. And in contrast to something like Nissa's Renewal a little bit later, which is good because it gains you seven life, mm-hmm. but isn't great because like it's it becomes the diminishing returns are very real. Mm-hmm. It doesn't affect the uh, board. Putting four four a worth of power toughness on the board even late game is really good. And if you have all of these utility deserts, you're getting two creatures and like potentially two pseudo spells. Yep. For your five mana, yep. which is valuable. I mean, it, it comes down to it. You can play eight deserts in your deck, fetch the majority of them, and then that's 16 damage off the red one. That's just, like, ready to go, sorcery speed. Like, yeah, it's very slow, but, like, it is a win condition. Like, you can chip in for eight to ten damage with these cards. Well, eight damage off the red one. I have four cards. No, but you can sack other deserts. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. 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 Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. And, like, Whoa. the black one, you just start, like... Killing like, their dudes. Ruin their team. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think Hour of Promise at a dollar fifty. Uh I can't see this going up too much more. A dollar twenty-five right now. Uh it's it's hard because even if it is a four of in a very good deck. It's good in commander though, gets any land. Yeah, it's very good in commander. It gets gets that Tron online. Yeah, dude. By yeah. itself. Good in commander, well, not by itself. Though. Good in commander does not really drive the price <laughs> of standard cards. By a huge order of magnitude. <laughs> no, but at least it has like a lasting, <coughs> it could have a lasting if, price tag. If Hour of Promise Ramp becomes a mainstay player in the standard metagame, this card will probably be worth like, what? Three maybe bucks. Three, four. Max three. Max three. three. Well, how, I think, how much was, um, how much was uh, the Pyromancer thing? Worth? Pyromancer's Goggles? Goggles? Yeah, yeah, that was really, but that was a mythic. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Also, like the... Um, Speaking of commander, the 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 excavator, the one that lets you play lands from your graveyard, yeah, like that's five dollars right now. Do you yes. think it'll see standard play? No, no, but that's. Do you think it'll see modern play? play? Well, people are think, think I think yeah. it's modern. That's what people are thinking. Because no, think Coco, Coco hits. I can assure you, it's a hundred percent commander. No, it's modern. It's not it's, modern. People think modern it's modern. Is crucible. Why would they have this? Because this is a creature that you can Coco or or courted, yeah. or court it. Both of. But there's no land based combo decks in modern. There's there's a reliquary. Night of the reliquary. That's not that good. The value of being able to get your fetches back on its own is pretty good. Yeah, Matthew's not for it. Whatever. I'm not for it. I it's I think it's just it's just all commander. All right, let's move on 
Another big deck that would be good, and I think this one has gained the most pieces and is the most promising uh, for actually probably being... It's not a tier 1 deck right now, I think, but definitely being a tier 1 deck moving into this uh, this meta game is Blue-Red Control. Blue-Red Control has gotten a Braid, which is a fantastic card against its worst matchup, which is Mardu Vehicles. Um, it's also gotten Hour of Devastation, which is very good against Zombies and Mardu as well. So, and green black and green black like it just that card fills up a lot of holes that the deck was experiencing um all the go wide decks i think it'd be like some of the oketra's monument decks are playing um selfless spirit and like avacyn and stuff Sorry, what was that card uh okay <laughs> uh dan dan's ran one opponent from gp montreal i'm very sorry i laughed at your oketra's monument that card is standard playable and you were way ahead of everybody Except you, pl- you played the wrong version, but... You played an Audric version, which didn't look good, but it turns out Oketra's Monument is a very important standard your de- card. Your deck was bad except for Oketra's Monument, but Oketra's Monument is so good yeah. that your deck did... I think that's why Dan lost. Uh, I think so. <laughs> Definitely wasn't the authority of the consoles. No, sure. I would imagine no, it wasn't. Yeah, it was not weird. Work. But yeah, we were wrong. Oketra's Monument is like a real card now, um, and there's real decks being built around it. I think the blue-white build is like very good. Uh, moving forward... There's the horsey that cares about life gain. Talk about authority of the consoles with the horsey. And oh, whenever uh, an opponent plays a spell, gain, plays a creature, you gain a life. Wow. So you, it it does say each end step. I'll yeah, have you it know. does say each end step. They just can't play creatures unless they get a 5-5. Five, five. Uh-huh. Wow. Dan, the next inspected GP, you're going to play the same You're going to lose to the same, same deck. Guy. Authority of the consoles, turn one. Catcher's Monument, turn two, three. Man. And all your guys gain indestructible. Horsey on turn four. Boom. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. And my Ammon Eternal gets so many minus one minus one counters because he's gonna play so many cards. <laughs> it's true. All his creatures so cheap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think that blue red control moving back on track here. It also got the sweet counter spell. Yeah, uh, it gets Supreme Will, which is like a very versatile card. It's good in pretty much every matchup. It fills the hole of your opponent, like trying to you know force you off Glimmer or dodge your disallows, um, because if they don't play into disallow you can just impulse um and it just it, it allows the deck a lot of resiliency a lot more uh, card selection it's a really powerful card so it got like those three cards of the big thing i think bolus doesn't fit in this strategy in my opinion pull from tomorrow for x equals five uh is a much better card in that in that slot in that seven drop slot whereas pull from eternity you know pull from tomorrow can also x equals three x equals four x equals five uh so it's just a like a lot more raw power and a lot more on theme it just depends if like maybe a braid is so good that you can't rely on your gear hooks to win the game anymore that yes. maybe you might want to splash like a planeswalker because right now that's the only win con right uh and the lands but fatal push and stuff make that really bad but i mean people are gonna be taking out their fatal pushes against you most of the time but yeah like gear hulk has gone a tick down uh a braid is very is another great answer that you can yeah. main deck in blue red control a braid kills both of your win cons in the current blue red and it kills gear hulk and it kills kills fumarole well unless they attack for one sure <laughs> no no fumarole you can switch back no you no. just do it in response to the switch and then yeah. it dies and it dies oh, right. yeah, for yeah yeah so it so they can just attack for one a bunch of times that's pretty cool is it yes Okay. Is it? Is it? Is blue it red? Blue is red. it? Yeah. Get it? All right, let's move on. Let's move on. So I think blue red control is going to be tier one. Uh, Hour of Devastation is at $3.75. Uh, I don't see this card going much higher. The most I could see it is five, maybe six. 
at the at the peak, and I could see it settling around five. So I don't know if buying in is a really good option. Uh, just the we're just in an era where masterpieces hold all the prices of the cards down. It's really hard to make money on specs right now, and I think that's kind of interesting because I think it's kind of pushing the show towards more towards like a spiky show as opposed to an MTG finance show. Uh, I don't know. But I, the, they're going to get rid of Masterpieces. Yeah, so it's time. It's time to start <laughs> to start speculating again. I'm very excited for Masterpieces to be gone. Not because standards are going to be more expensive. I actually think it's terrible. I think cutting Masterpieces was a terrible choice. Uh, I was I was all for Masterpieces all the time. Yeah, yeah. I know people who like wanted to open more packs just because of Masterpieces. Like, yeah. yeah, they were. They, they, pick, they did their thing. They would buy packs of sets specifically if they had Masterpieces. And like yeah. these people... Don't even know what the original cards like do. They don't care. All they know is it's like a super, shiny. It's a shiny card that has a weird frame. It's rare. Yeah, basically, honestly, yeah. It, and like yeah. it adds an exciting element, I think, to opening packs. Yeah, and it's just good for. I think it's just good for the MTG economy. It's an interesting decision, but I guess we're gonna be back to uh, thirty dollar playable mythics when they when they made a, de- a like design choice over like a financial choice because they're like we don't want to print. Any more masterpieces because we can't make them theme good. I mean, that well, could they just said be a... not as often, right? Yeah. They might still have masterpieces in future sets, but it wouldn't be in every set. I I don't actually think I think that might just be a cover. Like it could just be like that's their PR, but it might actually just be a financial, a financial decision. decision, like a business decision, so that they sell more boxes. I don't know. I'd have to think about it some more. I can't justify it to myself, but apparently that's where we're at. I mean, conceptually, they're. Uh, their explanation kind of checks out, right? Like, yeah. the lands, boom. Like, there's only so many card types <laughs> you can cover off that still kind of makes sense with the set, unless they printed a set that was all about slinging instants and sorceries around, which mm-hmm. Amonkhet certainly wasn't. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's tough well, to find could have been, like, graveyard-based card, cards that care about graveyard, mm-hmm. you know? It's got some of that. It doesn't have to be, like, a card type. It's just strange that sure. they, like... It's it's understandable yeah. though to to say that they might run out of angles to take. I mean, maybe they should have just printed fewer masterpieces or fewer different ones. Yep, I agree. Uh, as opposed to trying to find so many, but uh, yeah, yeah, sure. They could have debatable. reduced it to like like ten, fifteen large set, ten small set, or something. Yeah, I think that's what they well, should have done. They could also reduce it so there's no more small sets. Hey, true. Whoa, that's, that's a good point. All right, let's move on to another deck. Uh, this is Blue White Flash. I think this card, this deck has uh, has powered up as well with Supreme Will. Uh, I think the opportunity of just like representing Spell Queller, Supreme Will, and Stasis Snare all on turn three is really good. <laughs> um, I think this deck might want to shift into Esper uh, for Toolcraft Exemplar, Heart of Kieran, and Scrap Heap Scrounger, just so that it can put on pressure while also representing these counter spells. Uh, me and Matthew tested this Blue White Flash deck, and we found that if it fell behind, it didn't have a lot of good ways of catching up. I just wanted it to play Fatal Push, really. Yeah, like, it just didn't have any real interaction, so maybe Esper's the right place to be, but then at that point, you're asking the question, is is it Mardu or Esper, right? Uh, is is it Spell Queller or Unlicensed Disintegration uh, that are, like, the real payoff cards? Yeah, I, I would argue a counterpoint that, I mean, realistically, I think Heart of Kirin is really at its best when you're effectively giving haste to your other later plays on turn three and onwards, and exactly if you're if you're planning on playing an, an an EOT game at the end of their turn, yeah, then Heart of Kieran loses a ton Some of value. its value. Yeah, that's a good point. Right, so I I do agree that there is something to be said for 
turn one, turn two, try to play the most compelling threats you can, mm -hmm. and then switch into this mode of extremely hard to play against turn three onwards. But then, like, turn four, you're like, shouldn't I just play a Gideon? I feel like the the EOT plan falls apart without a critical mass of things to do. Yeah, fair enough. I think yeah, the biggest hole in this deck is not having a two-mana white kill spell at instant speed. Yes, definitely. It really needs some some sort of Impeccable interaction. Impeccable timing is not going to cut it. Yeah, Immolating Glare is <laughs> not, glare. not yeah. enough. I mean, you can play Declaration Stone, but it's just not really... Not being able to leave up Sensor is pretty... Or Blessed Alliance, but Blessed Alliance, I think, is weak against all the Thraven Inspectors and stuff that are out there. Yeah, it's just not... Blessed Alliance... Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Because they're just going to attack with this. Yeah. It's closer. Blessed Alliance is closer than... Or Splash into Colorless for Spatial Contortion. See, that's not a terrible idea. Because you do have... You have eight lands that... The Pain Lands. Yeah. Right? They... Like, you just need something to to kill their scrounger something on turn two, so you're not taking a million damage, so you Long can actually... Long Tusk Cub, Winding Constrictor... Yeah, just so that on turn three, you can leave up mana, and not have to take, like, like seven damage, like, with, like, a... Right. With, like, a Spell Queller in yeah, your hand or something. Yeah, because you have to kind of do one of two things, I think. You have to either commit a compelling threat to the board on, on turn two, probably, and then... Three onwards, you're just playing stuff that messes with their plan while your threat continues to chip away. Or you need to kind of keep them out of the game as much as possible with your own spells, turns one and two. And then by turn three, you switch into this mode of, you have no idea what I, I'm holding, and it screws with your ability to like make the choice. Alright, so the last decks sort of that we want to talk about is the Eldrazi colorless splashing some number of colors deck. Um... This deck had a lot of promise. The mana base pushing Thought Not Seer and Reality Smasher into the limelight it's again. A lot more and Matter Reshaper. And Matter Reshaper as well. Uh, just really makes these, you know, the, these decks, suddenly all these cards at 3, 4, and 5 are now available to in, and exist in the format, whereas they didn't before. Um, my biggest concerns with these decks is that at f 4 and 5 mana, they are competing with a lot of cards. So if you're you know, red XL Drazi, like Glorybringer is likely just better than Reality Smasher, right? If you're uh, like a white XL Drazi deck, like Reality Smasher is just worse than Archangel Atlas. So um, I've seen a lot of lists online with Eldrazi decks where you're playing like four Reality Smasher or like four Glorybringer, three Reality Smasher. And it's like, how are you supporting these all these five drops? Like, yes, you're playing 26 lands, but you're going to have all these awkward draws like over and over and over again. I don't think that that's the way you want the, the deck to go. Uh, I'm really impressed with the red version. I think there's a red-black version that's also very promising. Uh, Cut to Ribbons is excellent in the strategy of just uh, putting on pressure, to getting them to a life, low life total, and then making it really hard for them to stabilize. Uh, I was really impressed with Cut to Ribbons and that sort of strategy. So uh, that's pretty much all I have to say about the Eldrazi decks. I think that they're definitely promising. I think you're missing a key Eldrazi deck. Well... Nah, I mean, like, Eldrazi, especially Matter Reshaper in, like, an Emerge-based deck, is now free. Well, yes. Yeah, I think in general, the one deck we haven't talked about is, is Emerge. Yes. Right? Emerge was a, a superstar, kind of a dominant force for a while in Standard, because K-Returns flashback, quote-unquote flashback, is just so crippling 
Mm-hmm. Uh, especially because if they try to respond to it with like a selfless spirit, you can just choose to not utilize it, yeah. which is so, so <laughs> filthy. Uh, so we were talking about the fact that there's, you know, there's the kind of the standard blue red version, which I think is, is very strong and has gotten some new tools mm-hmm. in strategic planning That's and champion so of wits, which are very, very good in the deck. Yeah. Strategic planning is, is so potent because effectively sometimes it's, 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 it's a draw two, it's a draw three, mm-hmm. given the fact that you're putting cards in your yard that... That you want to have discarded. Yeah, that either have some incidental value, or you actively want... Like, being in the yard is effectively being in your hand as far as that card is concerned. Mm-hmm. And being in your hand is actually bad. Plus, it helps you pull for your lands, it helps you put K return in the graveyard. It's fantastic. And put, Champion put of Wits... Prize Amalgams in your graveyard. Prize Amalgams. Uh, and then Champion of Wits, as, a, as an enabler for your emerge... And as a way to get stuff in your yard. to improve your card quality, get the stuff you need in the yard comes is comes back later late game. Extremely effective, and if you get to the point where you're at seven mana late game, is a massive, effectively four for one or even five for one, because you get a four four. You get straight up. You draw four cards. You discard two, and you're probably discarding chaff. So really, like that's that's an enormous value from that card later in the game. Yeah. Now, Sorry, go ahead. It costs. It does cost seven, yeah. and this deck does run out of lands very quickly, given you're typically discarding them after four or five mana. So uh, you do have to make a, a conscientious choice about how you're sequencing your lands and your discards. Right. But there, I believe there will be matchups where flashing that back is going to be super relevant. Now, what we were talking about uh, is there's potentially a blue-black version of this that leans much more into the, the Eldrazi town, mm-hmm. uh, playing the full eight copies of the kind of colorless pain lands mm-hmm. that tap for colors and, and pay one life to tap for blue and also have a spell component attached. Those cards let you play Mattery Shaper as well as another uh, Emerge Enabler, which is an amazing Emerge Enabler. Yes. Let's you have thought access to Thought Not Seer, which is a great card in general. Mm-hmm. And um, Distended Mindbender. Distended Mindbender is another Emerge card, which is also super valuable. It's yeah. also a sweet combo with Thought Not Seer. Yeah. You and also get a Haunted Dead. You also get Haunted Dead instead of the the Advanced Stitch Wing, which is a fatal strict push. upgrade. You get access to Fatal Push instead of Lightning Axe. You can hard cast your prize albums instead of just letting them rot in your hand. Correct. And because you're playing this version, you're uh, because you're not as dependent on Cathartic Reunion, which um, you know is just kind of like an, an even one on on cards. Because you're not as dependent on Cathartic Reunion, then it's you're more comfortable with making some of your land drops, I think. Um, and as a result, you can more comfortably go up to your seven mana potentially, right, to, to hit your your um, your champion of wits from the yeah. yard. The only thing is how do you, how, where does K-Return fit in this deck? Yeah, so you there is the Grixis land that gains you a life and then filters. It's not very good, but it is an untapped four color land, mm-hmm. right? So there is a world where you can actually just play like Grixis plus colorless with this land taxes you a little bit, uh, well, a lot of bit to be honest. But uh, it is there is it's pretty low cost in that sense, and that like you can still cast your spells with this card. Um, so there is a line, there is an opportunity where you do just play four color emerge, three color. Well, three colors plus colorless. Oh yeah, actually. right. So uh, you're just really going deep on this emerge strategy. Um, I've never been a fan of distended mindbender. Uh, typically because they've been it's been put in like value decks uh like just jundi type decks black green type decks but when you're cheating 
his extended mind bender out as early as turn three. three. Like you're doing real work. Um, yeah. And that's very powerful. And I'm I'm much more excited for that card in that sort of strategy. Yeah, because you're probably removing from their hand every card that they have in there that can deal with distended mind bender. Right? Yes. Their hour of devastation is gone. Their like the removal spell is gone. The murder or unlicensed yeah. disintegration. Disintegration or whatever. or whatever it is that they were hoping they were gonna use to make this work or declaration stone, whatever it is. That's gone. Their top end sweeper is gone, or their big play, their big counterplay, their glory bringer, their Avacyn is gone. Um, yeah, and cur- curves now are like at the perfect spot where like descended mindbender probably can hit two things. It'll almost always hit two it's things. Not, yeah, as we it's, go back into a mid range environment. Yes, exactly. Right, that's where that's where mindbender is almost guaranteed to hit two things more or less every time. Mm-hmm. Right, I think deep fiend is an insane card, and the the prospect of having like. Four Deep Fiend and maybe two Mindbender, so six copies of that kind of an effect is mm. potent. Definitely. I don't think you can do it on turn three, though. No, it's turn three isn't really fit. fit. Yeah, without, yeah. without Lightning Axe, yeah. you can't. Yeah, can't that's true. That's, that's fine. Turn four, though. Like it's, a, it's, it's a little bit more turn four, value. In many ways, you can, you can get it in play. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, so I think those are all the decks we're really thinking about. Um, so I we test- have a caveat. We do? We have a caveat that rotation's in three months. Right. Financially. Yes. So you, yeah, so rotation is in three months. So if you have a bunch of staples from Battle for Zendikar block, aka Gideon, um, or anything from Shadows of Rinistrad block, uh, which, you know, a number of cards, now might be the time to sell them. Um, Avacyn's probably a good sell. Gideon's a good sell. I would keep your tireless trackers. Uh, I think that card is going to be a staple in modern moving your forward. Players. Yeah, keep your Grim Flares if you happen to have those. Right, what about Traverse? Traverse, I think you would hold on to as long as you possibly can. That card's going to go nowhere but up. Ishkana's going to drop. Ishkana's I think all of the relevant Eldrazi, like they're seeing Legacy play, like those he cards are going to hold value. Play? No, sorry. I, I'm talking about like Reality Smasher, Thought, oh. Matter Reshaper. Yeah. Those cards are going to hold value no problem because their value is not derived from standard right now at all exactly it's purely based on so which means they're probably a great buy because this these decks might actually get good yeah if they if yeah i mean they already are good um and then you're a little bit closer to building that legacy deck or that I mean, modern deck. Light, dude city of traders is like 150 <laughs> each. it's okay don't think about that too much <laughs> don't worry one step closer yeah. uh one very small step <laughs> But yeah, so rotation is coming soon, so you do have to be a little bit careful about the way you sequence your things. But a lot of decks are staying together. Uh, Mario will be staying together. Mario without Gideon? Mario without Gideon. I mean, you might play Gideon the Trials. Who knows what's, what uh, Ixalan's going to bring, a.k.a. we've seen the rare sheet, so we kind of know. Um, <laughs> we do know. <laughs> Wait, what about Thraven Inspector? Isn't that a key part of the deck? Uh, yeah, Thraven Inspector will be leaving, and that'll hurt a lot. Um, so it'll, the deck will shift. shift for sure, but like Heart of Kieran, Toolcraft Exemplar, Unlicensed Disintegration, like all these key cards are still Glory Bringer still exists. So like the deck will shift for sure, but it's not it's, losing. It's more everything. about like there, w- someone will find a shell for the fact that there is a one mana three power and a two mana four power card in the format mm-hmm. that have synergy with these. Scrap Heap Scrounger, yeah, yeah. like okay. a, maybe the Toolcraft deck Exemplar block. is extremely powerful and you know that card is not going to vanish in the format nope not at all um so yeah so those are the decks we're talking about one of my friends at the store had a really interesting teamer delirium list uh i think his curve was a little high but it was doing some really powerful things in like just traverse is a really powerful card 
in any sort of mid-range meta where you you can find a Glorybringer, you can find an Ishkana, you can find... And there are a lot of, there are a lot of top-end... A Rogue Refiner. Oh, wait, Rogue Team or Energy and Delirium? It had an Energy sub-theme, but Could it was play strategic play? And no. Delirium? Oh. Rogue Refiner, even on its own, is good to just fuel your Aether hubs for longer. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like Rogue Refiner is such a push card. Yeah, it's just really good. Pushed on common. Um, yeah. I think that um, there's a lot of really interesting potential one-ofs in the format right now. Yep. So, like, Sphinx of the Final Word mm-hmm. is, is fantastic. Like is is backbreaking in some situations. Mm-hmm. We were talking about one uh, new card that's coming out that's not probably not great where a lot of people are thinking it fits. Uh, it's Uresh. More um, Sphinxes. Cryo Sovereign. Sphinx Sovereign. Something. Anyway, uh, it's a four blue blue legendary creature Sphinx. It is a four four flying. Other Sphinxes that you cast cost two less to cast, and whenever. Uresh or another Sphinx enters the battlefield, you get to basically cast Factor Fiction for four cards instead, instead of five. five. Yeah. Which is, as a potential one of to traverse for, right, a four four that also nets you the best, basically the best card or the best two cards off of the top of your deck is, is, a, is a great potential target to try to uh, get back in the game or wrap things up. Definitely. And it, like it's, it is a huge evasive threat. Um, it does, and it does have an ETB effect. So it is hitting all the cylinders of uh, standard playable card. My biggest concern is that it costs six. Yeah. That's all. And, and that being said, like we're talking about it almost certainly as a as a one of as a tutor target. So financially, the implications of that are are not, pretty thin, not, right? And yeah. it's a rare. You, it's for, a mythic, actually. For, oh, it is. My bad. For financial value, you want to be looking at stuff that is a three of or a four of. Uh, on kind of like a cross spectrum basis yes right? definitely you're talking about like oh you're playing black you have to play liliana or you're talking about like you're playing um black you're playing green you're usually playing a tune with you yep. reverse right? that's, yep. that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. um is there enough for a reanimate deck so this is a good question razaketh there's like that's that's like all the reanimate costs five liliana. so the sphinx actually costs five and like the ishkana costs five anyway so like all you know, you there, have multiple reanimates. There's mana. reanimate effects uh, down to four mana if you're willing to target artifacts. It's true. With uh, refurbish, refurbish. That can yes. get back the God Pharaoh's gift, which can get back something else. <laughs> the other, the other option is if you can hold the game off long enough to get the six mana, and then ever after for two cards. Yeah, that's my biggest concern. Is like they're putting five mana reanimators in, but. I'm pretty sure endless. You're bringing like, back like six mana cards. Like yeah, there's nothing, like there's nothing really to cheat the in. The really yeah. crazy top end stuff is cast is, triggers. Has sure. exactly cast triggers that you're not super excited. Like, Razaketh is is definitely a potentially interesting, especially if you're using creature based ramp to get to your reanimation spells faster. Then you have creatures that you can sack to get more. I mean, juicy stuff, this isn't but... like original Ravnica where you can literally get back Grizzlebrand. Angel Serenity, Thrag Tusk. No, and no. your and your reanimation spell was uh, Umburial Rites. <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think it'll be that good. No, I can't imagine. And it, there's so much else that's going on that's really that's really tasty. Yeah, because so while you're trying to execute this plan, you're not you're not applying any pressure, right? You're not applying any a clock. You're not applying any disruption to your opponent. And if you think about it, if you kind of take a step back for a minute and think about it. You're basically saying, I want to cast things that enable me to do bigger things. No, no, like, but, you play, like, Grim Flayer. Hold on, But if you're doing that, isn't 
ramp just the better version of that game plan, right? Like you're you're trying yeah. to cast a bunch of spells to enable you to do bigger, spicier things a few turns later. But I think ramp, especially with Hour of Promise, the new cycling ramp card is probably just a better version of that same kind of overarching strategy. I mean, it depends on how easy it is to get Wulmog, because I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to ramp into these cards. Like, I'd rather, like, Grim Flare or Strategic Planning them in the bin, or maybe, well, maybe not Champion Wits, that's more of an emerge thing. Sure, but, but I mean, just because the ramp, uh, sorry, the reanimation spells themselves cost five or six mana, by that time, with an actual ramp deck, you'll probably already be to a World Breaker or potentially an Ulamog. Well, you can cast Ulamog on turn uh, five with the Hour of Promise. Yeah. Is that true? Yep. Yeah. It is. Right? Because you can, uh, turn three, you cast one that upticks you one. Turn four, you cast Hour of Promise uh, to put two shrines into play. Oh, shrines. And then turn five, you play a land, and you're on ten then. Oh, dang. Yeah. Five, six, yeah, that's seven, right. eight, nine, ten. Yeah. yeah. Turn five, Ulamog is real, and is strictly better than whatever you're... All right, never <laughs> whatever mind. you're reanimating, Razaketh. <laughs> yeah. I Ulamog your Razaketh. On the line of Razaketh, I think I'm... There's a... I've been toying around with, like, an Aristocrats deck, uh, like, um, uh, Cryptolith Rites deck that, like, cheats in a Razaketh, sacks a couple things, find combo pieces, and wins the, on that turn. Um, the deck's really hard to build. Uh, I'll keep you guys updated if I end up, like, breaking it or whatever. Uh, but uh, so far, I haven't had any success with the deck. I misbuilt it a bunch of times. So Razaketh's probably just worse than Ormondal. Uh, yeah, so Razaketh is worse than Ormondal, unless Razaketh allows you to win the game on that turn. Because he does allow you to tutor. He is a sack outlet. Um, like, Razaketh plus uh, Zulaport Cutthroat is, like, a combo because Zulaport gains you life, and then it hurts you a lot less, and you're drawing more cards, which you can then, in turn, sack. So, like, if you're generating mana, like, with... Um, uh, paradox engine for example uh you're really going off and then you can probably just win that turn uh that's that's kind of the idea of what the deck is trying to do there's an opportunity there for that to be like a very powerful deck um that also has the backup plan of just ormondal right so it's both an ormondal deck and a razaketh deck uh doing both simultaneously can obviously be very powerful mm. and it's also just a aristocrats deck right so if you get enough dudes you just you you just chump lock forever and keep draining them and then you sack all your guys and you kill them so or if you get to uh Zulaport cutthroats maybe claim to fame fits in this strategy uh it just all sort of starts coming together and it's possible i, I have to keep building it and i'll let you guys know if i end up actually building something that has some promise I want to talk about one deck that I think is terrible, and it's Mono Black Zombies. I think Mono Black Zombies already struggled in the format against a bunch of sweepers that were already good against it. Uh, Radiant Flame, Sweltering Suns, Chandra, Flame Caller. Yeheni's uh, Expertise. Uh, Yeheni's Expertise already existed. And now we're just getting like a main deck playable Hour of Devastation, just like completely destroy the deck. You'll never be able to do anything ever again. Play a different deck in standard. Massimo, tell me how you feel about I that. Think I haven't tested zombies. It gets Ahmed Eternal, which is just probably worse than the three drops it was already playing. So, like, you're going up the curve for some reason, and it still dies to sweepers. Don't play this deck. I think it's awful. That's it. All right. While we're on the topic of traps, I think there's a couple that might be uh, good to mention. Okay. That are, that are pretty... Pe some people are jazzed about, and I think we talked about... Probably aren't going to be nearly as juicy as some people might think. Is mm -hmm. it imminent doom? Uh, nope. 
Imminent Doom is imminently bad. It's the one that uh, casts you get Doom counters. Yeah. Sure. Oh yeah, card's terrible. Great. Oh. Um, we're not going to talk about what the card does because that way you don't accidentally play with it. Unless it turns out to be really good, in which case I take it all back. <laughs> uh, I think the the first one is the the last the the cycle of uh, God last something cards oh, slash yeah. Hazrets Undying. The yeah. <laughs> it looks like the drawback of not untapping your lands next turn, which costs you at least as much mana as the card costs, and sometimes more, and it costs you even more mana as the game goes on, which is extra bad. So it 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 gets worse over time. Um, are are probably not We're good enough. Be. Yeah, I think the the green one. You know, a five four on turn two seems like a compelling offer. Like, that, like that's the best one, right? Maybe. On its face. I mean, I think I don't know. I think the fact that you're playing a five four that dies to the, well, that's what I was saying. You're gonna get to it. Just right? dies to like the premium removal spells of the format that everybody's playing. Yeah, like it's just not good enough. And the blue one's just worse than what confiscation coup. Yeah, it's just worse than confiscation. Coup. And, and and dies dies to every real removal spell. Also dies to any kind of bounce effect. So if someone is playing a Commit to Memory or the new uh, blue-black uh, Aftermath card that bounces something and mm-hmm. then has a, a discard 2 attached to its Aftermath... You think that's going to... The Disperse, you think that's going to see play? Yeah, I mean, uh, if you uh, want Shaheen to Sarani mentioned it oh. in his list of like potential uh, cards for Constructed, mm-hmm. so I, I'm you know, holding out for it. Uh, yeah, it's just like... The, the drawback... Is is I think too much to overcome. At least in an aggro deck, like you won't have the room to like play that. Like what the real question is, like how do you dodge the drawback? How do you minimize the drawback? Right, and it's very hard. It's very like I can't. There's not a lot of great ways to realistically try to dodge that drawback. At least at that I've seen. Unless you're playing like artifact ramp or creature ramp because they untap. Sure, but even then, that's still mana that you like you don't have access to. Yeah. Right. Like whatever lands you tap for that, like you just you're just losing out. So when we said there's a lot of sweepers in Emoncat, we meant Hour of Devastation in many decks over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. one good sweeper is the only sweeper that matters. It's true. Language. Now, like, you if only you're in the one, but it was fantastic. You know, ba- obviously Bantu's Last Reckoning works a little bit better if you're heavy on the walkers, right? Because it doesn't punish you for having planeswalkers, so mm-hmm. that's a plus. Yep. But I mean, it also means that you're trying to use this later in the game after you already have Planeswalkers. So it's more of like a mid to late game release valve than it is an early game card. And that's that's a use I could see, but it feels a little underwhelming to me. Like, it, they're under-costed. Like, all of them except for un- Hazards. <laughs> yeah, like, they're like, under-costed. Like, if, if, you're pl- if you want to play a Sweeper later in the game... And you're already playing a bunch of good planeswalkers. You're probably just gonna want to play uh, Fumigate or um, the the one from Zendikar. Right. Well, well, right? what I was trying to get is like the cheaper, which means that you should be able to jam two spells in one turn a little bit earlier. But then you take your whole turn off. The next turn. You take the whole next turn off, but, but you like, resolve the planeswalker. Or you've resolved the planeswalker, or you've jammed like a hasty threat or something. Like some like there's got to be a reason. Like, there's got to be a way to abuse the fact that on turn four you could play Bantu's Reckoning into two drop, or turn five you could. Sure. Yeah, like if you. Like, five and... vehicle. The problem is that even the one that seems like it would be compelling, which is vehicle based threats, Heart of Kirin, something like that, those are really good for giving your subsequent plays haste. 
Yeah. But then you can't have any subsequent plays because you don't have any mana. Which is kind of disappointing. So you have a Heart of Kirin, then you bond to his Last Reckoning, and then you sit there and be sad no, for a you while. Play, then you bring back Scrap Heap, and then you crew Heart of Kirin, and attack yeah, before. Like two, two turns later. Anyway. <laughs> no, no, you bring, you, um, well, you bring up the same turn. And, you know, so so there might be something with them. The Kefnet's last word, if you're stealing something that's outrageous, maybe, right? There, there might be possibility there. Yeah, I, I think that that's, and the, the Hazards one is, is bad. That's it's probably the, the, the worst. The prospect card of in whiffing standard. entirely and then skipping your next turn is catastrophic. It's like the worst card in standard, right? Hazards, undying. Fury. Like it's probably really, really bad. Like I mean, there's mm-hmm. there is still dubious challenge in standard. No, so. dubious challenge is good. Well, in, in sta- modern, in it's standard, fantastic. It's a. It's not fantastic. B. What do you mean? It's not. It's what about top tier? What about the one? What about the one where you exile a card from your li- your graveyard and then you get to exile the ones from your from your library too? What card is that? Wait, are you talking about the demon, the four mana six six flyer comes into play? You swap your library with your no, 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 uh, no. Uh, the, the Eldrazi one. There's a one from Kaladesh where it's like three black black exile a card from your graveyard, search your library for that many cards, put them oh, in your hand. To like salvage something. So, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put no, that, that's that's a demonic tutor, man. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, let's let's move on. With our lives. Okay, uh, and then I think the other <laughs> the other potential traps. The the new gods, yep. So so the scarab god seems interesting. The pro it doesn't really have to be connected to zombies. I mean the prospect of like draining and scrying as the game goes on as uses ability and a five five that's hard to deal with and value if they don't play anything has potential. Right. Yeah. I think that we saw that the potential of having like a threat that then lets you get card advantage over time with Tassiger a while back. Similar concept. Yep. Right. Well, I mean that costs one. Well, I mean, it can, but I'm talking about, like, late game. Sure, sure, sure. Having, sure, sure. like, a real threat that also says, like, answer me or else I just keep I keep pushing the game further and further out. Yeah. Um, this, the, the Scorpion God, there's potential there, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the but Locust the, God but is the Locust God-centric. Seems underwhelming. Yes. Is what I was going to say. <laughs> but who knows? Maybe there's something there that we're, we're not seeing. It just seems like in standard... Like, like, just play good cards, yeah, and yeah. you're gonna do really well. Yep, and that's true. Massimo, did you have a perspective on Nimble Obstructionist? What card is this? That's the, the bird, the, the Stifle, Stifle bird. Oh yeah, so Stifle, Stifle. Stifle bird. I think this card is bad. Um, it's not necessarily a bad card in and of itself, but I think at three mana, at in blue, at flash instant speed, there's so many better things you can be doing. Uh, primarily spell queller, primarily uh, the will card. Um, the the impulse slash slash mana leak um it just there's no home for it and that's fine there's just better cards than it i don't think stifle is worth i don't think you in standard would play three mana stifle draw a card that's yeah, just not it a, is a split card. card so the question yeah so it is you a, play split a card. three mana three one flyer i would not flyer. play a three one flash flyer in standard right now what about a white black or white blue flash deck that's like literally all flash so if it's all flash, it could have a home. But that being said, it's copies like nine through twelve rather than copies one through four. Right? You're playing four quellers. You're playing four wills. You're gonna. You're, how many instructionists are you gonna play? Two. I don't know. Right? Like it just it just doesn't fit. Like it's just worse than the cards that are already good in that strategy. It's not that it's a bad card. I think it's a perfectly fine card. I just think there's better things to be doing, and this card is not going to find a home for about, that reason. What about Avon Mind Sensor? Uh, same thing. What about against Our Promise? Which one's that one? The red, land ramp one. 
They cast in and splash in even minds. Oh my god! Wow, the technology, the cyber technology is getting so real. Yeah. Wow. Hate out the ram deck with those. Or they play Razakep and you're like even mind sensor. I mean, I guess they get to look at the top board. They still get a card. It's an impulse. It's yeah. They get an impulse. They get an impulse instead. All right. Maybe even mind sensor goes up a little bit now. I think nimble obstructionist is good if. It is consistently an uncounterable two for one. If yes. Whatever yes, activity, yes, yes, ability yes. you're countering is is truly worth a card. What about a Either, gear, gear Hulk trigger. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. So, so like yeah. a Gear Hulk trigger is worth a card uh, because you're literally getting one card worth of value. Uh, countering something like an Evolving Wilds activation is real if Evolving Wilds is all over the place. Hitting or a clue, if, a clue or modern right or a shrine, where, a shrine sacrifice. Not shrine. The other one. Sanctum, Sanctum of Ugin. Yeah. Right? But even then, like, that's that's kind of bonus value for them. It's, uh, it has to be a back-breaking amount of value you're getting uncounterably on turn three. Mm-hmm. I it, think that, or, or, like, a little bit later, but with the ability, with basically a split card that says, by the way, if you really need to, this is a good card at pressuring Planeswalker. Definitely. That's, it also can counter Planeswalker's ability. <laughs> yeah, a Planeswalker ultimate counter is the other real possibility for this my biggest concern is that disallow is already in the format so people were already incentivized to take their That's walkers true. above ultimate level so yeah. it's like it's not it's not doing something new in the format yeah but now if they exist. like don't do it then you just flash in your bird and you can start attacking their planes that's three. true yeah. that's true so maybe maybe it's good in standard at least as uh as sideboard tech against decks that are heavy walkers mm-hmm. that's maybe, fine right? yeah like that sounds fine your your opponent plays nickel bolus down ticks to blast something you counter it, draw a card. Also, and if you're counting, yeah, no, you'll just kill them instead. You just kill. Uh, you want to talk about nickel bolus? Yeah, let's talk about some bolus. If what? Well, okay. You sure? I was gonna say if if you're countering a instant uh, activated or triggered, like it's better than disallow. It, it also it's real yes. good for countering stuff like stasis snare and cast out. That's very real. That's right? It's that's a straight up. That's a the straight up one for one, like a good one for one. Yes. Uh, I think the deck. It needs to be a deck that you build around though. Yep. Definitely. All right, I want to just quickly talk about Bolus. It's at eighteen dollars. I actually think this card's really bad, and it makes me very sad. Um, this <laughs> I made a note here. This card is designed for EDH and nothing else. Thanks. That's what I wrote. So, uh, Nickel Bolus. I was playing at the store with my buddy, uh, my buddy Pasha, and uh, he told me I to- I informed him that Nickel Bolus doesn't gain life, and he was immediately off of it. Immediately, like. This card sucks. So he thought that on the minus, you would deal 7, gain 7. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't do that, so it doesn't stabilize you at all. Uh, Nickel Bolus His is, ultimate is the, the the wrath effect. Yeah, his ultimate is the wrath effect, and it doesn't even win you the game. Yeah. Um, Nickel Bolus is only good if you can back it up with a wrath effect immediately afterwards, and, and so that you can stabilize the board and use your or, win more card. Or immediately... The after a wrath. Sure. Like if you've just if you sure. are a devastation the turn prior. Yeah. And then you fall they follow it up with like random dude, you follow it up with bolus, kill random dude, you're probably in a good spot. So the, the my concern is that there are cards that anything that follows an hour of devastation is good. The Chandra, Torch of Defiance, costs four, is very good after an hour of devastation. A Gear Hulk costs six and has flash is very good after an hour of devastation. Like any card after an hour of devastation is good. Hour of Devastation is just a messed up card. It doesn't matter what you're casting afterwards, right? Uh, the only reason is because Bolus doesn't get hit by Hour of Devastation, so you can cast it 
after Bolas, right? Uh, so there is some power there. But Bolas in of itself is not a card that will win you games. Bolas in of itself will exile two cards from your opponent's hand when it comes down, and if they have any board presence, they're going to ignore it and attack you. And they're going to demand an answer on the next turn. You can minus kill a threat, but you're still demanding an answer. Even if they eat your hand, as long as you have any board presence at all, you're going to win. And like the plus two, it's just not, it's not that strong. It's very not strong. Most of the time it generates a chump blocker. And again, like they're putting on pressure. So they're still living off the top of their deck. It's not like you're, you know, you're cutting off their draw step. So if they, if they kill your chump blocker, if they have any interaction whatsoever, if they have an exile, a permanent effect, like Bolas just dies, like like it just doesn't do enough for the mana cost. It doesn't stabilize they cast out you. Bolas. Yeah, they cast out Bolas. It's just like if you know if they have a counter spell, if they censor your Bolas, like dear lord. <laughs> you play Bolas and they never it, and then you cry. Yeah, exactly right. Like like you play. Okay, you play Bolas. You plus uh, walking ballista. They untap and they never your bolus. Yeah, like you just you your seven your seven mana spell did nothing. And like if it minused and gained you life and allowed you to stabilize and was a threat that they had to kill or else you were threatening to gain more life, putting yourself out of range. Yeah, like this is what we're describing is Chandra, right? It lands. It has an impact on the entire board. Yes. Yeah. And it is a must answer threat otherwise it hits for a difficult to deal with six damage every turn yeah and as or, a plus. Draw, or draws you one slash lots of cards depending on the quality of your hand yeah. right so yes. like every effect is must answerable and it can land and immediately protect itself and have an effect on the board definitely yeah. basically if you have six or more mana you're probably always preferring to cast chandra in most situations unless you're already way ahead in which case bolus closes and, the game but you're already going to win and the biggest thing is that Seven or four toughness is the is like the the spot. Yeah. And Chandra six comes down and kills everything. Yep. If if maybe if like five toughness was a thing, then you know like Bolus dealing seven would matter. But really, yeah. Bolus could say minus four deal four and would operate as the exact same card most of the time. Yeah. Or, Except yeah. it kills other planeswalkers. That's the biggest thing is that it kills other planeswalkers. Also, if your opponent has to be on happens to be on seven, you win. But in my opinion, you should just play that cycling uncommon from the set that deals six for six mana. That's probably just bolus. So don't do that. That's obviously <laughs> also, bad. yeah, Chandra's <laughs> six mana deal six. Yeah, exactly, right? But the um, the thing that we were talking about is the one the spot that Nickel Bolus seems to potentially fit. Now that we're we're saying we're moving into the world of mid range as the core of standard, mm-hmm. is if you're say a blue red mid range deck or a blue black or something that can that can splash in Bolas as basically your go-over-the-top trump card. It's your mechanism for beating the other mid-range decks yeah. by having some of the drops. doesn't necessarily have a ton of pressure being applied to it right away because your mid-range, you have some other stuff down, and immediately starts generating a ton of value in yep. the mid-range matchup. Right? I can Game, see that. Pulling two cards out of their hand, killing their scariest threat on board, or starting to uh, uptick towards a board sweep, which is very relevant in the mid-range matchup while gaining you cards in the process i mean if if you can manufacture a scenario where you bolus minus to kill a planeswalker and it doesn't die that's very good that then then your seven mana planeswalker it did something definitely definitely yeah and that's in in like the mid-range matchup mirror yep that's a very valuable sequence definitely i mean i it'd be interesting to like say there's a grixis planeswalkers like or like mid-range uh deck 
that's like sorcery speed chandras and stuff and then you can board into bolus and you can board into dark intimations which seems like really good in like a mid-range sort of like like uh sort of life right where you're like you kill their threat buy back a planeswalker yeah and draw a card and they discard a card like does that's power does soren hit planeswalkers uh, yes. yes, he does. All right, Soren's just better. Soren's just better than Nicol Bolas too, because he also gains because he gains life, and yeah. he draws cards while uh, pressuring your opponent. Yeah, he draws yeah, true. cards and deals damage. Man, why can't Nicol Bolas target yourself to cast the free spell? Right? Jeez. Like, anyway, um, okay, I think that's all the traps that yeah. we wanted to talk about. I agree. Uh, I have one more card I wanted to talk about, um, just very quickly at the end of the cast. Uh, I think Endless Sands is a really powerful card. When I first read this card, um, I thought it would be the card. Like, this was going to be the standard card, defining standard. Um, it's very powerful effect, flickering your stuff, getting uh, value ETB effects, protecting your guys from removal, making your attacks and blocks safer than usual. Um, at the low cost of a colorless land that is ETBs untapped, I was very high on. Um, but from testing, I put it in a couple decks, some Eldrazi decks, the blue-white flash deck. Uh, it didn't seem to matter. Uh, standard sort of in a position where, like, things tend to snowball. So, uh, like, blue-white flash versus Mardu. Like, the the who, the winner of the game is determined by turn five or six most of the time already. And so, you endless sandsing a couple times or save, saving a thing and maybe flashing it back won't matter. Like, the advantage that they have of uh, a, a safe Gideon or... Um, you know, just presenting enough threats or just like, or, or clues or whatever it is that they're doing to gain that advantage. Um, if you haven't answered it, you're going to lose to that and Endless Sands isn't going to help you. Um, that being said, if the games are strictly mid-range, everyone, no one's dying. Everyone's one for two for one in each other. I think Endless Sands could definitely find a home and could be a really powerful card. And I think 50 cents uh, for a utility land is like, a reasonable buy, but right now uh, I'm not sold on it. That being said, I don't want people to overlook this card. That's my my biggest takeaway. Is like don't overlook overlook the power of endless sands. I think this card's very good. Ma- Massimo was so so high on this card. It's uh, like he would have been like without testing, he would have been like three dollars for endless sands. Sign me up. Yeah, I was gonna buy like ten at two dollars on Star City Games. Like this, I I thought this deck. I thought this card was because it is colorless, so it could go in literally any deck. Um, I thought it was just going to be, like, the the card. I thought this this card could be banned in standard when I first read it. Uh, I have cooled off a lot on it, don't worry. Uh, I still think it's good, but it needs to find a home, and the metagame needs to be right. It's vaguely reminiscent, albeit slower, but easier to play, of Evolutionary Leap, right? Like, making, yes. making your opponent's removal worse. Evolutionary Leap was much better at making your opponent's removal a lot worse, mm-hmm. but this can fit into more places and can potentially be that extra edge again, probably in like the mid range mm-hmm. mirror where they're playing stuff to try to undercut you, and instead of that, they're just slowing you down. Yep, definitely. It seems like every every land that has an ability that isn't like a creature land is just, just like this is not good. You know, it's like in standard, your spells are good. Yeah. Your spells do so much work. You pay mana for them, and they cost a slot in your deck, and Wizards is like, here's your power. Yeah. You know? But, like, lands, they're just, they just, they're good and limited, you know? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I don't think that's entirely true right now. I think I think one of the reasons why the Eldrazi decks may be relevant in Standard now is that, one, the, like, the Mattery Shaper, Thought Knot, Reality Smasher package 
mm-hmm. is like real threats that also come with in, like built-in card advantage. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, they enable you to play with a land base that is spell lands, right? Like the new kind of pain colorless lands mm-hmm. that have very real spell effects attached to them. Cards like Grasping Dunes and Cradle of the Accursed, which don't do a ton, but do more than nothing, right? They yeah. potentially kill a little something, they give you a zombie. Um, things like the the new uh, land that lets you exile graveyards, yep. right? There's a lot of potential utility. And like so the, get... the creature land, too, is also pretty good. Right. The the new one that exiles a desert from your graveyard. And, Any land. Or a land from your graveyard and becomes a 3-4. Yep. Uh, between all of those... It means that you're getting, as you move into the sort of the mid-game, the mid-late game, you're getting some extra value from your lands, mm-hmm. which is increasing the net uh, the net impact uh, per card of your deck, mm-hmm. which is kind of the marker of why a person generally wins a game. Yeah, my concern is just, like, they give you, like, such small win percent. Like, you know, your, your random abraid could give you, like, a plus, like, 5 or 6 win percent, but your random land will give you, like, a 0.5 percent. Right, but it's it comes down to are you sacrificing anything to get access to that? And if playing these means Usually get, it's a color, right? Yeah. It, it's like, okay, let's say I'm playing the mono black version of this deck. So I get access to some of the best removal spells in the format, some other good utility spells, and I get access to probably one of the most effective mid range packages of threats. Uh and on top of that my lands are spells a little bit, there is potentially opportunity there. Yeah. Which is why I think some of these decks are kinda of coming back. I feel you. Yeah, I agree. Um, anyways, I'm excited for the new standard format. Uh, it is a modern PPTQ season, so I won't be playing as much standard as I usually do. Um, but that being said, there will be events and stuff. I will be very likely just jamming out some Mardu, uh, some Baleful, some Baleful Omnit, some Baleful Omnits, nope. some Omnit Eternals. You should do an F and M where you play Baleful Omnit instead. And <laughs> no, see you know which one's better? You know what's definitely gonna happen is I'm gonna play a competitive event and I'm gonna write Baleful Omnit on my deck Just registration, DQ, and I'm gonna get a DQ because. Or you're gonna write Omnit and they're gonna be like, I don't know which one you meant. Yeah. Like like how you write like ballista? It's like I walking ballista or charging ballista. Yeah, I got a game loss at a PPTQ because I wrote ballista down, and it turns out there's also charging ballista in the format. Someone's gonna. Uh, Pithing needle you and name Amit. <laughs> Which Amit? <laughs> you, you must be so confused by you. That's going to be the win for you, dude. Pithing needle would do nothing against that. <laughs> all right, I think that's all we got. <laughs> They'll be wrong on so many levels. I think that's all we Lost got. Legacy <laughs> naming Baleful Amit. Oh, that's that. Now that's synergy. That's the technology right there. Mm. Uh, I think that's all we got for you guys this week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of MTG Speculator Podcast. We really appreciate you guys putting in the time and listening to us and having some good laughs with us. Uh, a reminder to sus- sub- a reminder to subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a five-star rating if you'd like. We're on YouTube and also on most podcasting services. Uh, so you can check us out there if you want to subscribe. We're on Twitter. Follow us at MTG Spec Podcast for episode updates. Send us feedback. Send us deck lists. Send us pictures. Whatever. We're happy to interact with our fans at any time. Uh, we, if you want to send us something more long form, we can sh- you can shoot us an email at mtgspec at gmail.com. A reminder to tell your friends about the show. That's the best way to help us grow. We really, really appreciate every single one of our listeners. And we're looking forward to doing more regular scheduled episodes as we continue along. And finally, check us out on mtgspeculator.com. That's the home for the podcast. You'll find everything there fully archived as always. Thank you so much, guys, for listening, and we will see you guys next time. See ya! Bye!
about uh, the worst deck you've ever built? <laughs> I've, been, I've been playing Magic for a long time. <laughs> Alright, I, I built decks that didn't have the lands to cast the cards that were in the deck. So, That's I mean... Bad. So, um, I, I, have a, I, have a, I made a deck recently, and it's it was like a improvised deck for Modern. And it played like 16 zero drops, and the demon, and some like thought cast, and I was like, on paper it was like, yeah, this this deck's good. <laughs> and so like I d I played tested a couple times, and it was just like, oh, this hand is like two lands, four zero drops, and like one thought cast, and it's like, yikes, like, <laughs> am I gonna get there? Is this the best deck in, in modern? And the answer is And I draw no. like a land and a zero drop, and I'm like, this deck does literally nothing. <laughs> At least I have Tormod's Crypt main deck, so I can try to auto win against Living End. But like, what else? <laughs> what else am I supposed to Go do? Get those, get those Tor Tormod waves into one two. Yeah, like you like <laughs> you auto win for like a turn, and then they just get get there again. Yeah, it's just like super sad. Yeah, it was not hot. <laughs> I got it. And then you lost your like mana source. Oh no. Yeah, no, it's it was not hot. And then. And then me and Dan try to build this mono red prowess deck for standard right now. <laughs> yeah. Dude, no, it was so has, embarrassing. It still has opportunity, okay? Dude, it was so... We're like, okay, there's a lot of like Thermal Alchemist type cards in standard and a lot of like one mana cantrips. What can we do here as we like wipe our hands together? I draw a hand of seven and it has like, like, what, like four lands and three cantrips. And I was like, wow, that's not good. <laughs> Mulligan, one land. Three cantrips, thermal alchemist, and an incendiary flow. I'm that like, that sounds pretty good. I'm like, yeah, we're getting there. Turn one, cantrip, draw my second land. Here we go. Here we go. Turn two, thermal alchemist, untap. This is turn three. Turn three, three cantrips, ping him for four. No, no gas. <laughs> uh, yeah, I draw a couple more cantrips, flood out a little. <laughs> I think I managed to do like five, five damage. My turn five. Yeah. <laughs> and like, it wasn't getting much better from there. So basically, deck's too good. Is what you're saying? <laughs> deck, turns out cantrips, they're not what they used to be. <laughs> no. When people say, we want cantrips, we want like, scry two on our cantrips. Fix our draws. Not, yeah. Yeah. Not make all our creatures have trample when we have no creatures because we're looking for lands. <laughs> Alright, I, I think I'm going to talk about, I'm not going to talk about the worst deck I ever played. I'm going to talk about the card I have wanted to to break for the longest time, mm -hmm. and it just refuses to to, be to get there, and that is Eerie Interlude. Oh yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Eerie Interlude <laughs> is just like where my heart lives. I the the prospect of casting this and just getting like this giant bag of value <laughs> off of a ton of ETB creatures has been something. And it I so I played I played a version oh, that yeah. it actually went it went okay uh, at a at a at a um, GP. at a GP, GP Toronto 2000 like two years 16. ago, a year ago, a year ago. Yeah, yeah. So I played a Coco deck that was um, that was that had a few copies of Eerie Interlude uh, for the added value off of like uh, you know off of uh, Reflector, Reflector Mage, Thraven Inspector, and a bunch of other stuff. And um, maybe Thraven. I don't know if Thraven Inspector that. Uh, anyway, so. It worked pretty good, and there was a few times where it was just amazing as an absolute blowout versus sweepers like Languish, which was great, uh, and it, it completely took people by surprise. I've been trying; it, it was like almost there. I've been trying to break it ever since. 
Uh, and then they, they banned Reflection Mage and it made me cry a little because that was kind of like the whole reason to be. And recently I, had, I took like one last shot at it because I'm like, okay, here's the trick. You have it and Torrential Gear Hulk. Gear Hulk can flash back the interlude for like infinite value. And then you can like eerie interlude on your end step, have your entire team exiled. Your turn comes around and you fumigate. And then your whole crew comes back and it's like a one-sided fumigate and wouldn't that be cool? And it is cool like once every 40 games, but for the most part you sit there and do dumb stuff. Dude. Because there's just not enough, like the 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 critical mass of, of decently sized and costed cards that also have ETBs that are worth a card or almost a card just isn't there right now. Dude. It just cuts me like a knife. And, yeah. uh, and so Eerie Interlude, sadly, will probably never be relevant. It, it, unless you just really want to sidestep our devastation. Yeah, like boss. right? Like, like a, a boss. boss. Because, mm, who needs value? Yeah, true. Anyway.